Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore how primary sources can be used in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. We have another incredible author interview today. I'm so excited that we get a chance to listen to Grace Lin share some history and background behind her newest book, Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite Foods. Now, I had a chance to meet Grace several years ago when I sat on the 2019 Caldecott Committee, and she received a Caldecott honor for her picture book, A Big Mooncake for Little Star, and had the pleasure of having a meal with her back then. Today, we got to speak about meals, and more importantly, we got to speak about her recollection of her family and how it was tied to her identity as a Chinese-American and how food and story play such a pivotal role in it. And as she was sharing this, it made me remember about the memories I've had eating American Chinese food, that food that has been adapted for American palates over decades and decades, but the memories that I've had in the past 40 years of my life with my siblings and my parents and my daughters. And she really talks about how American Chinese food really is not just something that can be called American Chinese food, that in many ways it should just be called American food because we all have our own connections to it. We all have our own memories of it and with it. And she couldn't be more right. I loved reflecting back on those memories as I was reading the, this book. And I am happy to say that the book that we have in our library is already off the shelves. And I hope that my students who are checking it out and reading it are also thinking about their memories, more recent ones, that they have with this food as well, along with their family. I can't wait for you to give this interview a listen. I hope you enjoy. We are here with Grace Lynn, and she has a new book coming out that is a little bit different than a lot of books that we maybe have talked about on this podcast, but one that also is very fitting. I'm so excited uh, to have you here with us today, Grace. Thanks so much for having me. So we are here to talk about your newest book, which is called Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite Foods. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? Yes. So this book is a little bit different for me as well. Uh, this book is a collection of about 40 stories, and it kind of tells, just like what the subtitle says, the history, myths, or legends behind your favorite American Chinese food. So I like to give the elevator pitch of like, oh, do you notice how uh, Chinese dumplings, they look like the shape of a person's ear? Well, that's because they were invented as uh, by an ch ancient Chinese doctor as a cure for frostbitten ears. And it tells all the stories like that behind American Chinese food. So where does the inspiration for this compilation of stories come from? What, what brought together the ideas for history and food uh, for you with this book? 
Well, I actually had the idea for this book quite a while ago. Um, back, I think in 2001, 2002, uh, I did a book called Dim Sum for Everyone. And after I did that book, I did a follow-up book, kind of like a a sort of a sequel, uh, which was called Fortune Cookie Fortunes. Um, and they're both picture books and they're both for a very young audience. But for Fortune Cookie Fortunes, um, I did a kind of research on fortune cookies because there's back matter in that picture book. And I, while researching that back matter, um, I found out that fortune cookies are not Chinese. They're a, are, they are an American invention, completely American invention. In fact, if you go to China and you ask for a fortune cookie, no one will know what you're talking about. Now, most people kind of know that now, but um, back in 2003, 2004, that was still kind of um, unusual news. People didn't really know that. Um, So I remember telling that to people and saying, oh, do you know fortune cookies? They're, They're not really, they're, they're not, invented in China. They're invented here in the United States. In China, nobody knows what they are. And uh, when I told people that, they always would say, oh, so fortune cookies, they're not even really Chinese. And they would always say this with kind of a tone of disgust, kind of this tone of disdain. And after a while, that really kind of bothered me. And I realized that bothered me because um, I'm I'm Asian, obviously, but I was born here in the United States, and it took me a while to feel comfortable with my identity as an Asian American. I always felt like I wasn't Asian enough or I wasn't American enough. And so when people kept saying things like, oh, they're not even really Chinese, I realized that, um, gosh, a lot of people might be saying or thinking that about me. And um, I felt like you know what, there's nothing wrong with the fortune cookie being Asian American. There's nothing wrong with it being invented here in the United States and associated with Chinese food. Uh, And I kind of felt like we should give this food, which is actually possibly the first true Asian American food, we should give it some respect. (laughs) So, um, so that kind of was the kind of the seed of that idea. And I started thinking about, I should do a whole book on Asian American food and give this, give this kind of food the respect it deserves. Um, And that's kind of over the years, I just started collecting and collecting stories. And that's what turned into uh, this book. I'm I'm really so glad that you framed it that way because it's exactly how it comes across as a white American reader whose only experience with Chinese food is, you know, like the takeout place down the street. This book like really speaks to my experiences while also providing all of this depth behind those experiences as well. And there are some uh, and I, I, I was, I probably have read half the book race. This is a long one for those of yes. you that haven't read it yet, a few hundred pages, but it's very browsable. So you can kind of pop in and, and see, um, you know, different foods, but there's others that you, that you write about too, that have maybe an origin in China, but also an influence by, um, when they kind of move over to America as well. Yes. So, I mean, all of the food that we eat here in the United States that we call Chinese food, I mean, it's not Chinese food. Uh, it's all been adapted and changed to uh, American taste. And 
There's, and I think that we tend to look down at that, like, or some somehow we kind of think that that's less authentic. But I think what I'm trying to do with this book is try to reframe that idea that it's not a value, you know, like to to have a food that has been adapted does not make it less valuable. It just makes it different. Absolutely. I, I want to kind of shift into really the, the focus of the podcast, which is always primary sources. And I feel like I'm seeing some primary sources here when I'm with the, with the portions of the book I've had the opportunity to read. But for you, what primary sources did you come across through this process of research and writing? Yeah. So like I said, uh, I've been kind of collecting stories uh, since like 2003, 2004 on American Chinese food. And honestly, most of my primary sources were just like my family. Like, um, so for example, like Buddha jumps, there's a story called Buddha jumps over the wall. Um, and I remember very vividly uh, my father telling that story uh, of, of, of how the food Taste, smelled so good that these Buddhist monks had to jump over the wall to see what it was, you know. So, uh, and I remember him laughing and telling the story. Um, so, so many of them are stories from my own childhood that I kind of uh, wrote down um, and uh, asked my family members to tell again, uh, which sometimes they would tell again slightly differently. <laughs> so so uh, a lot of my primary sources were that. Some of them were stories in that I read when I was younger. Like in, uh, you know, like uh, I don't read Chinese. So a lot of these stories were like really bad translations, <laughs> really bad translations. So I had uh, many, many of these as my primary source. But um, for this book, if you go to the back, you'll see that the uh, the research is quite extensive because uh, even though I had those my parents and my relatives as primary sources, um, I also didn't quite trust them. Like I said, I had my parents tell me the story again, and it was like, that's a little bit different than what I remember. <laughs> and so um, I actually hired a research assistant. Um, her name's Isabel Brandt, and she uh, was a Smith College student. And I said, uh, I have all these stories. I need you to find me secondary sources on all of these stories. And I need, because I need to know what my parents made up and what's real, what's, what's the real, or what are, what's the more generalized story. And of course, you know, she, she, um, she found many, many versions of the stories that my parents told me. And so uh, my, my challenge was to take the version she found, plus the versions I had and try to come up with a version that was most true to all the versions combined. I thought it was, first of all, yeah, the, the when you get a chance to look at the the source uh, list at the back and it's all organized by the different foods, which I think is, I love that. Um, it's, it's extensive. And I was wondering about these stories because your, your experiences and your family specifically and your father's stories, it seems like from ones I've read, like really play this important role in kind of your view, I guess, of, of what, I would get, I would call like Chinese cuisine or American Chinese cuisine. And so I was wondering this, and I'm so glad you shared this about like how then that translated into these um, stories, some of history, some of myth. Um, I, 
I describe them almost as like origin stories for the for a lot of these foods or chopsticks or whatever it, we're mm -hmm. talking about in here, um, how those came to be. And sometimes like with the chopsticks, for example, you actually offer multiple stories up uh, yes. for those particular pieces. Yes. I mean, uh, the chopstick stories, because I have many memories of my father. I mean, I even recount it in the book where like he takes his chopsticks and he dips it in to the food and be like, oh, is this the food poisoned? Is my chopsticks, are my chopsticks going to start smoking? You know, because there is like a, a story about that and him kind of telling uh, the story of like, oh, when the emperor, emperor always ate with chopsticks to make sure that he wasn't being poisoned, you know, and um you know, obviously that was his memory, but as we did the research, we like found out, oh, well, there's actually, they have to be silver chopsticks and they have to be this and this, you know, so, uh, so it was uh, interesting. It was good that I did, uh, did more research and not just used his version. Um, but, you know, and then finding out that, oh, there's, there's lots, like the version he tell, told me is one, but there's actually another version that is even more commonly recognized you know or or even more popular so um that's that was the beauty of of kind of researching uh the stories that like he he was start he planted in my head and then we were like oh there's a branch here there's a branch there there's a branch everywhere and then saying oh well i can share that as well that would be great so um yes yeah, so like that's why there's two origin stories of chopsticks because i heard of one but then uh, in our research we found the found another and we're like, oh, well, that's really interesting, too. Uh, I think we should share that. So I, I would love to, to, to follow up on this kind of, in a sense, story of family and food, I guess, that I see like happening here as as kind of like a primary source. How, how do you feel like that upbringing? Because I don't I don't know that everyone has that upbringing of like food and family and story. How, how did that influence the book and, and how do we see that represented in in the in what we read when we when we pick this up well so i can i'll answer that in two ways i mean there's the the reason why i wrote it this way is because um as i mentioned earlier um i'm asian born in america and i had a very very uh tentative relationship with my identity as an Asian American. Uh, like I've talked about this many times, but like as a child and probably until I was in college, I really did not want to be Asian. You know, I didn't want to be Chinese. I didn't want to be Chinese. I didn't want to have anything to do with my, um, my heritage. And um, it took, and then when I finally did embrace that part of myself, um, I almost felt like an imposter because I felt like, oh, everybody on the outside sees my Asian face, but I don't feel Asian at all on the inside. And so I was always trying to trying to search for ways that I could feel Asian on the inside. And when I searched back to try to kind of like strengthen my tenuous roots to my heritage, I found those roots through food and through stories. Those were the two things that I could find myself rooted to in my heritage. We ate food and we, and we told stories and I read stories about our Asian heritage. And that's kind of why I leaned into those things, especially in this book, because it's kind of a way for me to claim that part of my identity. Um, and I think 
that's one of the reasons why it took me so long to make this book. It's because now I finally feel like I can claim that part of my identity. Um, so that's my personal reason of leaning into food and stories. How do I feel or how do I want it to feel for people reading it? Well, um, same thing for for those who are Asian American. I hope that it gives them a sense of pride. I hope that it gives them a stronger connection to their heritage and to their roots. And honestly, for those who don't identify as Asian American, but identify just as American, I hope it gives them a greater understanding of what it means to be American. I mean, in many ways, this Chinese food, any American can kind of claim a bit of ownership to it. Because like I said, uh, this Chinese food has changed and adapted for American tastes, you know, so there is a there it is Asian American. So it is actually a part of all of our culture, all of our history, all of our heritage, no matter what ethnic race we are. Uh, it's just by the fact by of being American. I mean, I, I talk about this a little bit in the book about like, uh, we talk about how hot dogs is American, pizza is American, ice cream is American, you know, um, is, but all of those foods have roots in other countries. I mean, the hot dog is from Germany with has roots with the Frankfurter, you know, like, you know, the pizza has roots in, in Italy, you know, all these things. Um, so American Chinese food is the same way. We can claim it as just as American as the hot dog and the pizza. And that's kind of what I'm hoping that people get from this book. And I also just hope that when next time they get their takeout, it's just, I also feel like when you know the story or think about the story, it just makes your food taste better. It just makes you enjoy your food so much more. You're like, you think about like, oh, eating this chow mein, it reminds that story where the four dragons had that contest. You know, it just makes it more magical to me. And I hope I, it makes it more that. magical for eaters too. <laughs> I think I, I think it I think in a lot of ways it could. I I want to just react. I, I'm so glad that you framed it in that way. This idea that that um that American Chinese food that 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 you don't have to have uh, a Chinese heritage or an Asian heritage to be able to necessarily claim that. And and I think that at least for me as a reader, I was reading this book and I'm having connections. I'm having memories of my own family meals or with my brothers and sisters and my parents, with my daughters, you know. So so I was making those kinds of memory connections. And so I love the way that you frame that. The other thing that I was thinking about, for me at least, is, you know, I, I go um, to our local place that's just down the street from me for takeout or sit down. Uh, and I have like my go-to items that I have every time. And yet I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, this is what this dish is. This is what that dish is. I want to try that. So, I mean, I even think there's that possibility of like expanding then my experiences as an eater of uh, American Chinese food as well, which I think is really an incredible kind of transformation that comes from exploring this book. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're glad too. Um, I, I, I have to dive into, to, you know, we talked about that family connection and the family stories as um, a primary source. And, and I love that, that you share that part of yourself um, 
so deliberately and so clearly in this book, not only in its origin, but actually the words that are on the page. I mean, it's it's there for, for us to read. There, As I was reading this, though, I was just wondering, um, you go through, as I just mentioned, and you you describe this, the food, and you, you, of course, give us like the history and the background and then the, the, the stories, the origin stories connected to it. But I was wondering, does, as like a primary source, did Grace have to go back out and eat a lot of Chinese food along the way <laughs> just to like, you know, maybe there were a few items on here that she had not had before. Or maybe there were items she hadn't had in a while. So can you talk, it, was there any of that experience of like you actually re-experiencing the food or experiencing food, some of this for the first time, um, to, uh, to help you in the creation of this book? Well, yes, I ate a lot of Chinese food. <laughs> it was it was the best part of my research. <laughs> Though there's one dish in the book that I have not, never had. I even say it in the book. Um, it's called Beggar's Chicken. And I remember I, I went to a, um, I, I think I went to a restaurant in, uh, in, in California and I saw it on the menu and I remember seeing it before when I was in um, Hong Kong many years ago. I was like, oh, beggar's chicken. I was like, it's super expensive, <laughs> right? And then I was like, oh, I, I, I'd like to, maybe I should go splurge and get this. And they're like, oh, you need 24 hour, like you have to tell us 24 hours ahead <laughs> of time to get it. So I never got to try it. Uh, but it's, but I remember that was a, a story I, I was told by my dining companions in Hong Kong um, about beggar's chicken. And it's, it's this, this, the, the method to cook it is pretty intense. Like you have to pr pretty much encase it in a cocoon of mud <laughs> and it has to like steam and like, and then when you finally get it, you like crack it open with a hammer and it's supposed to be the most delicious, aromatic, fragrant, tenderest chicken like in the world. Uh, but I've never gotten to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> there's still time there's still time so i can just did dream you... about how wonderful it is so that right. is one dish that i did not get to eat but i have heard much about um did you eat the bird's nest is it bird's nest soup yeah you know i did but i feel like it was nowadays um they have um fake bird's nest you know like it's not really okay. like, like they really use like noodles like here in the united states um they probably they probably call things that are bird's nest soup um that are not real bird's nest you know like it's probably like a, some kind of noodles pushed together uh so i have had bird's nest soup many times here in the united states but i'm pretty sure it's not real bird's nest because it's comparatively affordable like the real bird's nest soup is astronomically expensive for real reason for good reason yeah i i was I, that i haven't read the the one on beggar's chicken yet i'm gonna go back and read it now but the bird's <laughs> nest soup was one of them that i read and i was like my mind was blown i, I just couldn't wrap my head around that um so when you were mentioning and i think you mentioned the price of that as well because yes. of how it is um sourced basically yes uh, yeah. so yeah I, yeah is you get the authentic, the authentic meaning, the one with the that's actually a real bird's nest. Um, I I do not think I have had that. I've had the fake bird's nest soup. <laughs> that's well adaptation, right? That's yes. what we were talking about of of how this happens. Um, this book is is 
so much fun. And I really, I can't wait to be sharing this with my students. I, my students at my school are such foodies. They check out cookbooks and food books. And so this, when I saw it, I thought this is right up their alley They're I'm, they're going to be, I'm going to have so many students that are just fascinated with this. And I, uh, so I can't wait to share it with them. Grace, I, I thank you so much for sharing all of your story with us, not only in this book, uh, it is called Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite Foods. Thank you for sharing this book with us, and thank you for sharing your time with us today on the Primary Source Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. 